There seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, station manager Eric Crema. I always give him that title, too. I'm not even sure he is station manager. He might be an emeritus manager by now. I don't know. He's been around a long time. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. And, of course, being Saturday, that means we get to work with our buddy, the great Nathan Miller. He's our producer. He keeps us in our lane, and we like to nickname him Nathan Detroit. That's right, Nathan Detroit. (laughs) You know, obviously there's no sign of intelligent life anywhere because I was not smart enough to pull up the little button for me to play that. And I'm currently standing at my six foot six height and looking out our window and yeah, nothing. Okay. (laughs) Always good good. to be uh, working by your side diagonally across the continent, but nevertheless, Nathan. So likewise, here again, we've got somebody with us today. We're going to we're going to learn. We're going to learn a lot. We're talking about depth psychology. So I hope folks are taking notes at home. Take notes. Get your pens out. Get your papers out. Boston Carter specializes in depth psychology, working for many years as a consulting medical intuitive. Dr. Carter began developing a theory of the architecture of psyche, looking for an answer to the question, what is the structural basis of human suffering? She developed the model of psyche called Archidomi. She lives in Monroe, Washington with her wife, family, and three dogs. Her website is humanadifferentway.com. We'll be sure to give that out again before the end of the show. And she is a charter supporter of our show from 2008 and 2009. This is not her first visit. She just hasn't been on in a really long time. And we want to find out what's been happening to her since 2009. Welcome to Manson Mitchell, Dr. Boston Carter. Thanks, Suzanne. Gary, it's really good to see you both. It's been a minute. Yeah, it has been. And in fact, that was, I said to Gary, that's the first thing I want to ask her about is you got a PhD in depth psychology and you have been furthering all of your education in in that uh, arena. So tell us what happened and how that's going. Well, as you know and said, I was a medical intuitive working with naturopathic physicians and individuals to help resolve difficult health issues. And I could see patterns of thoughts and feelings within people that were starting to match up from one person to another. So I created some notes and made a model and I worked with it for a long time. And I realized I couldn't really take it further without a higher degree that gave me a foundational language. So I went to study depth psychology because that's based on the work of Carl Jung. And he was great at bringing in the feminine principle of intuition and spirituality. And that was really significant to how we work with our our mind, our thoughts and feelings. All those years ago, I got a copy of your book called The Mechanics of Consciousness. 
And I was I was very enthralled with it because consciousness consciousness is something that Gary and I like to talk about on this show a lot. And in that book, you talked about the patterns of perception in the human psyche. And so as you get into depth psychology, um, I don't know if you can summarize it really quickly, but when you're looking at those patterns, you say there's there's four different ones. And what, what would those four patterns be of perception? Well, what I discovered happens is that because we exist in this sort of binary system of gain and loss, winning and losing, fight or flight kind of thing, that we have a set of patterns that are instinctual. And the other side of psyche is the higher self side. So we're kind of existing in this binary system. And those four patterns, I refer to them as the four elements, fire, earth, air, and water. And they work within the binary. But what was interesting about this is that, as you both probably know, uh, most of nature is created through fractals, you know, these um, self-similar images that create matter, such as rocks, trees, shoreline, as well as the human nervous system and circulatory system. And the psyche, being a product of nature, works the same way. There are fractalized patterns to our thoughts, feelings, and responses on that instinct side. Now, I find that particularly interesting in my own case, Boston, because when I, and it's otherwise, you just pretty much by saying fractalized, it starts to make sense to me all of a sudden. But for many, many years, I have received images without asking for them. I mean, I could be thinking about anything, looking at anything, nothing in particular, but then all of a sudden there will be a geometric shape and it might be a rectangle. It might be in the context of looking out a window where it's totally dark outside and I don't know what's coming up, but that's the whole point. If I call it fractalized, it seems to be the subjective experience I have of being alerted to something, I mean, perhaps even warned that something is coming up to which I will have to pay great attention. I will be needed in some way. And then usually within a matter of, of a few days, an event shows up that requires my urgent attention. And I had felt it and seen it before I experienced it. And I attribute that to that psychic part of our minds. And I think we're all born with it, whether or not we're aware. Absolutely. That's what you're referring to is what I call listening to higher self. There's lots of ways to listen to that higher wisdom and knowledge. And you described it perfectly. That's exactly what happens. And that's the other side that is not dominant. We have to choose it. The instinct side that's caught up in the fear-based stuff for survival is dominant. So it has to be chosen. I'm open to it. I think that it has helped me too. I don't dismiss it. I don't deny it. I don't overinterpret it. I allow myself to have the experience and then I find out why I had it as events unfold. I always find stuff like that remarkable. You know, it's it's eerie, but at the same time, it's kind of exciting. Oh, yeah, I love it when it happens. In fact, what I like the best is when something really weird 
comes out, something I never would have thought of myself, so it's not on my screen at all. That way I know for sure it came from someplace other than me and my ego instinct. Yes, yes. Yeah, we, we've all had that experience, and it's kind of it's kind of exhilarating when all of a sudden there is this synchronicity or something presents itself that you've been thinking about. Um, Gary and I will do that every once in a while. If we haven't seen somebody in a long time, I wonder whatever happened to this guy or that gal. And then all of a sudden they were there at the grocery store or at the gas station or someplace quite unexpected just when we were thinking about them. So is that kind of related to what you're talking about? Oh, absolutely. I find that if I'm thinking about someone for two or three days, I better call them because something's up. There's a reason I'm thinking about them, for sure. So even though you study depth psychology, and I don't mean even though, but it it seems as though you're even, uh, are you... Are you even more balanced when it comes to using your intuition and your analytical side? Are you are you giving it more weight than you might have in the past? That's an interesting question. You know, the process of getting my doctorate put me really strongly into the mental body and my intuition shut down for the whole six years I was working on that wow. degree. Wow. And I spent several months after that in... Sedona so that I could be around the energy of the red rocks and the ancient cultures and the Hopi Indians and all that to try and start getting my intuition back. So it was kind of a struggle to get it back, but it's now fully back and I'm really grateful. I I wouldn't know what to do without it. So does it balance me? Yeah, I think the education helped give me the foundational language I needed to really structure this information in a way that helps it make sense. I can use Jungian terms for that. Now you're reminding me, Boston, of an old bumper sticker I used to see as far back as the 1960s. I saw it quite frequently and then I stopped seeing it. And it would be on many a car. I grew up in Southern California and I would be you know on the freeway uh, riding along with my dad who was driving so I had a chance to look out and see a whole lot of things and every now and again there would be a car with the bumper sticker that said if you don't feel close to God who moved (laughs) (laughs) that's perfect and that's kind of what's going on here I've done the same thing there yeah. where if I'm turning off one side of my mind, which really means I'm just not using it or using it well, if I do that and it falls into disuse, it can feel like a separation from our higher self or from God as a concept. But in fact, it requires almost what the New Testament scholars would call a metanoia, an inward turning of the mind so that we reorient to the very power that has been latent and just left there on the shelf, so to speak. And when we return to it, every experience I've had indicates that when we return, we are welcome. Absolutely. And I'm really glad you mentioned it that way, because what I've also found is that our past incarnation knowledge and wisdom is in our DNA. And there's a way to reawaken that and really access your full higher self. There's stuff we know that we don't know we know. And if you don't go in and choose to access the higher self, you're not going to find it. 
I think of my instinctive side, my intuitive side as just sort of popping out or just kind of happening. If I'm analyzing some numbers, I'm doing that pretty consciously. I have a row of numbers. I'm adding them up. I'm trying to figure out what the percentage is. And so when I'm using my analytical mind, I can put it on paper. I can look at it. I can think about it. When I'm using my intuitive mind, it seems to come from somewhere else. It doesn't seem like I'm cogitating. It seems as though a thought comes to me rather than my working something out in my head. So when you're talking about using your instinctive or intuitive side, are you talking about making it more conscious? And how do you do that when you're just used to things just occurring? Yeah, there is a way to choose it and control it. And what the Archidomi model does is it shows us a specific thing we need to do to set instinct aside so that we can easier access the higher self. And then there's a whole toolbox of things to help us work with higher self and develop that relationship into something strong and mighty, if you will. Can you say a little bit more about archidomi? Why did you choose that word? Archidomi is two Greek words together, archa, which means ancient, and domi means structure. It is the ancient structure, and it's imprinted at birth through the fractal process. It's not, our personalities are influenced by our, by our environment, but they're not completely created through our environment, in my view. That goes against traditional psychology, but that's how I see it. That's how Archidomi portrays it. Archidomi versus the traditionalist. What is the bone of contention in your own words, Boston, in terms of your own professional understanding, what two schools or traditions, what are they fighting about intellectually? Well, the Jungian schools include the numinous or spiritual experience, and the Freudian schools do not. It's all about behavior, and uh, experiments are conducted by observing behavior. So only the Jungian side takes the subjective internal experience into consideration. You know, the qualitative experience of of life and life events. You know, I don't have the quote in front of me, and I wish I did right now, because um, we had read something quite a while ago where uh, Freud had been bested in an argument, probably like at a salon where a number of very smart people got together to debate things. And uh, he was bested by a man, and I'm sorry, I don't know who it was, that uh, that got the better of Freud and said, theory is good, but it doesn't prevent things from happening. <laughs> I don't know who said that, but that sounds right. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to I'm going to find that quote again because I, that was one of my favorite quotes is you you can have all kinds of theories, but when you're talking about the metaphysical world, the unseen world, the intuitive world, the you know what is going on in the universe that we can't see, 
things happen and we can't always, you know, the, the theories don't always hold when something happens that seems extraordinary, a synchronicity, an intuition, something that follows that uh, gets us where we need to go, but you can't, you can't put it down on paper sometimes. That's right. And physicists, I read maybe a year or two ago, uh, physicists are discovering that the only thing that truly exists is consciousness, which makes sense. So if that's the case, we should really figure out how to work with it better, you know, and how to use it to our advantage. And that's great as a practical matter. That's a, that's daily living we're talking about. Absolutely. And what Archidomi shows us is that the instincts drive our core perception from day one. They drive our thoughts, feelings, behaviors, the suffering and pain that comes with trying to figure those things out. And when we map it, like I've done with this model, we can see very clearly the pathway out of that whole problem and find a new way to approach life and problem solving. When when you say that there are patterns of perception, I, I kind of still want to go back to that. I don't have my um, my own in front of me. And I know originally... Uh, from your first book, The Mechanics of Consciousness, there was that information available to know how you perceive things. When you're talking about accessing your higher consciousness, does it still have to do with those four patterns? Not so much. Those ah. four patterns are based in the duality system. Whereas the higher self is a multidimensional system. So that dualistic two-dimensional system is very linear. It's what gives us our linear thinking. And it's why our problem-solving skills are limited. Because if you're in a survival situation, you need to make a fast decision, which means fight or flight. It doesn't give you time or space to consider negotiation or the plethora of other options available to you whereas higher self does because it is multi-dimensional you have to approach things differently and from a loving and compassionate position you can't be fearful and competitive it doesn't work well this this now takes us in a whole other direction because if we can bring it home it just seems as though um, you're talking about an ideal where people can problem solve in a very beneficial way. Whereas when we are presented with a problem, there is a pretty predictable reaction. Uh, if I have a problem, I can, I can get real quiet about it. I can start screaming and yelling about it. I can be asking for help to get it solved. It seems like there's a number of things to do, none of which seem to be the best outcome. So in, in today's real world, we, we come across just so much negativity 
in uh, from road rage to you know going to the store and interacting with people negatively with their shopping carts to you know whatever it might be so how can we now use this in a much more practical way well i'll give you an example um i use it in a very simple way this is a simple example one thing I do is when I'm cooking, I don't set a timer because I'm not going to get to it in time or it's not going to be as good as if I ask my higher self to let me know when the food is done cooking. When I do that, I go about my business. I'm busy. I'm not focused on it. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not checking it. I'm doing something and I suddenly get the thought I need to go check it. And then I go check it and it's done. So it's a way of letting go of the problem so that the solution can present itself in a directed way, if that makes sense. Well, it does, because you reminded me of uh, my mom, who hated alarm clocks and refused to use one. And no matter what time she needed to be up in the morning to go to work, catch a, a plane flight, uh, meet somebody for breakfast, uh, see some program that she wanted at early in the morning. She always told herself at night what time she wanted to get up in the morning. So she would say, I need to get up at six. I need to get up by 630. I need to get up at five o'clock to go catch a plane. And she would tell herself before she went to sleep what time she had to be up in the morning. And never in her life did she set an alarm clock. She said she only set one once and it was so jarring. She never wanted to wake up like that again. And that reminds me of what you just said. Exactly. I do that myself. And I also add the caveat that I want to wake up refreshed like I've had a full eight hours, even if I haven't. Because that shifts the chemistry in your body. We have more control over these things than we realize. We can kind of give instructions to our biology that helps us out when we have to stay up late or something happens. I love that you trust yourselves to do that. I have on occasion myself done that. Otherwise, I try to arrange my life in such a way as not to need an alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> Afternoon flights. Yes, that's right. That works very well for me. But now you, this is a, a sort of a crazy notion that just came to me as you were talking, Boston. I wonder how many productive labor hours have been lost to the snooze button. But these, <laughs> that's that's your protest against the alarm clock itself. It's man versus machine, so to speak, right. or woman versus machine. And of course, the machine is gender neutral, as far as I know. But the point is that when you hit that snooze alarm. Who do you know that actually hits it once? I mean, that's <laughs> that's, that's a self-disciplined person right there. And so after, you know, two or three times, and I've done that countless times back in the day, I thought, you know, there must be a better way to get myself. I will rouse myself from sleep another way. And that's by, you know, scheduling my life, which I've been able to do pretty successfully for a long time, I'm happy to say, in such a way as to fulfill the Taoist aphorism, which is when I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm tired, I sleep. Perfect. And you found another way to solve the problem, right? 
It did. It feels like I did. Yes, it just it eliminated that as a factor in my daily life, which I have to admit, and I certainly can understand uh, Suzanne's mom and her attitude about it because that becomes a daily annoyance otherwise. Yeah. So we've already found two new solutions to the annoyance of an alarm clock. Boston, I'm going to bring you some big problems. And and we now only have a couple minutes before our break. But now if we're talking about um, using your higher self to not to cook your food perfectly, and we're using your higher self to get you up at the time in the morning that you want to get up fully rested. Now let's take that to a, a much higher level. Is there a way to use our higher consciousness for healing, prosperity, relationships, career, the biggies? Absolutely. Absolutely. So with relationships, though, you have to get the instinct to set aside in order to deal with relationships. But with prosperity, yes, you can just talk to your higher self and ask for guidance. You learn how to follow that guidance. You learn how to listen in the ways we've kind of already touched on, like synchronicity and listening to your thoughts that randomly come in that seem out of place, those kinds of forms of listening. You can ask for guidance to be on your path, Um, just like I did when I went to school. I had no intention of going to school, but I was unemployed because it was the um, housing market crash and I was a carpenter at the time. So I needed to do something and my wife said, why don't you go get your PhD? You've wanted to do that. So the term started in three weeks. There were people on the waiting list, but I felt like it was the right thing to do. I trusted it. And those people who were on the list dropped out and I got a seat and I was in school three weeks later. So I perfect is that? that? I love that. Congratulations. Isn't that great? And what a wife to just say, hey, you know, the carpentry game isn't looking so good. Go get your PhD. <laughs> she's amazing. I, she's amazing in every way. Yeah. Well, we're at the bottom of the hour. Why don't we go ahead and take our break? We only do one break, Boston. So we'll take okay. there two, three minutes. And then when we come back, it would be great to get into some of the success stories and some of the talk that drives that, that makes for good talk radio, how you've been able to apply it in your own life. Of course, we'd love to hear about that, but to the extent you can share also with your clients, or perhaps you've done workshops where people give you feedback about how they have successfully applied the principles in your book, the book itself, how people can get it, how they can get in contact with you. We like to call that the marketing piece. So if you're up for that, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes, Boston. Dr. Boston Carter is our guest. It's been a long time since we've had the pleasure and privilege of talking to this very well-educated lady, and she always has principle on her mind. She lives in a principled manner. We are Manson Mitchell. Give us a couple of minutes, and we will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detail in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. 
staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Nicole Strickland, paranormal researcher, to talk about the pros and cons and latest trends in an expanding field of this scientific quest. On Saturday, Joey Medea brings us the tintinabulation of cults, cult leaders, cult followers, and how the elements all come together in perfect harmony. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Boston Carter, a lady that we have known for quite a long time, even though we haven't talked to her for a long time. Boston, if people would like to find out more about you, your work, your books, uh, what is going on where they can maybe get up and close and personal with you, please share with our listeners how they can do that. My website is humanadifferentway.com. And on that site, we find uh, video courses. There are eight videos that talk about the Arkadomi model. They explain it in detail, each of the four patterns. There's a pattern test you can take to see which of those patterns is yours. And uh, inside those videos is information on what you have to do exactly to kind of well that ego instinct so that you can easier access the higher self. And uh, we've got Arkadomi cards that are like um, tarot cards, but they have sayings on them. I'll give you an example. I've got one here in the card number 20. There's two decks. Each of them has 55 cards. And uh, there's a yellow instinct deck and a blue evolved higher self deck. So card number 20 on the instinct side says, in what condition is your energy? What are you exuding toward others? So it helps us start to pay attention and practice what we do with our energy when we walk into a room. Because people perceive us, right? That first impression is super important. People experience us by our energy first, whether we realize it or not. And the evolved will card to that says, Choose how you wish to impact others. Other people can always tell when you're cranky or have a strong ego that is in control of you. 
What impact or influence do you want to have upon them? So it just helps you practice working the energy, the unseen metaphysical side of us, right? So we've got lots of other tools. I've got um, Coin Talisman. There's a whole materials kit that comes with the courses. There's a workbook. There's a journal for doing the exercises in the videos. Comes with a pen. There's the card decks are in there. Uh, an instruction sheet and the coin talisman. The coin talisman is a beautiful heavy metal thing that you can keep in your pocket and it helps remind you to stay on track and choose higher self whenever possible. And we give you all the tools to help you figure out how to do that. Then I've also got my uh, book called Human a Different Way Pocket Guide to Problem Solving. And what that does is it gives you a lot of information on how to access higher self, how to listen and pay attention to that. And I've had people say to me that they wish their therapist had told them about this stuff years ago because it would have saved them years of being in therapy. Um, one woman sat with me for about three months working on her core issue. And she said she was so happy and elated when she was done because it just made all the difference. And I don't know what else to say about it, really. There's, there's lots of tools there available. But I think what needs to be conveyed is what happens when you're in your higher self. There's a feeling that has to be conveyed. It's a feels like going home to God. That's the best way I can say it. It feels like comfort. Um, one of the things that I've been gifted with, I recently took a trip to Hawaii. Well, not too recently. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but Hawaii is what remains of ancient Lemuria. And it's it's a land where um, humans were first seeded with the divinity of in our DNA. And going there can awaken those memories and how to access that energy. And I was just weeping the whole time I was there because all this feeling of comfort and home and love and compassion was just flooding me the whole time I was there. I relate so well. I knew you the, would. Oh, Boston. I knew you would. Back in the 90s. I really need to get back there. Suzanne and I have not experienced Hawaii together. We have separately. I made four trips in a row, four times, four consecutive years back in the early 90s. And what I recall each time, it's sort of emblematic in a way, but the way that Honolulu Airport is laid out, when you have people coming in, inbound from the mainland, and you see them heading toward the luggage section, there you have people that are just about doing the Snoopy dance. They are so happy. They have landed in paradise. They are ready to rock and roll. And then you can see across there a, a divide where they have some plants and, and bric-a-brac. Then you see people headed from Hawaii back to the mainland. And I'm telling you, it's a study in contrast between the people who are arriving in Hawaii and those who, because their time is up, at least for that visit, must fly back five and a half hours if you live in Seattle 
back to the mainland. And these people, their shoulders are slumped. They're carrying uh, any uh, luggage they're taking aboard with them with a sense of like they're going back to a salt mine. And it, it's just this joy versus the despondency of having to part from this beautiful experience of Hawaii, which you articulated a moment ago, and was so much the case with me that I found myself thinking about people, my relationship at the time, and life circumstances with a lot more compassion, not just for myself or my partner, but for people generally. It's like you come alive to that part of your own humanness. It's a better way to, to human, to be a human being when you're out there in the most isolated tracts of land in the world, because you're surrounded by at least 2000 miles in any direction by water. Yeah. And there's an energy there and it's unique to Hawaii. And many people who go there feel this way because there's, there's an energy there that awakens that part of us. And what was really interesting for me, Gary, I came back and when I went into my meditations with higher self and this little soul room I have, I was invited to a Pleiadian rejuvenation chamber. And in that chamber, I could feel that same energy that happens in the Lemuria of Hawaii. And I was instructed by my beings in there to charge stones with that energy. So I started doing that. And something really interesting happened. I had a friend out on an island set some stones out on her table. So I'm about 40 miles away from her. And I charged one of those stones while she was gone. And when she came back, she said, one of those stones was glowing from the inside and it was making a crackling sound. And she picked it up and it felt like comfort, that same sense of comfort of going home to God. So she carries it with her. So I wanted to try it again. And I charged another stone and sent it to someone without telling them what it was. I just asked her to wear it. And she told me that it feels like her best friend. And she feels calm, no anxiety. So as we're moving into this transition in our collective consciousness you know we're entering the age of aquarius and i know you guys are familiar with what's happening we're transitioning our level of conscious functioning these stones provide comfort and a soothing sense of being home and you carry that with you wherever you go and it really helps you access that higher self space if you will beats the hell out of a mood ring <laughs> well now 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 I, I don't want you to put down the mood rings um when earlier when you were talking about what was available in a, a package you mentioned a coin talisman and it reminded me that um there was a point in time about gosh 10 years ago where um i needed to make a trip from florida to illinois to be with my dad who was in the dying process. And of course, it's not a trip you look forward to, you know, you're going to say goodbye. And I was, I was in a little place where they had a whole bunch of bracelets 
One of them looked like it belonged to uh, either Wilma or Betty Rubble. It was it was just like a whole bunch of really odd shaped um, rocks and uh, lightweight. And I, I, I got it. And I said to Gary, I'm going to wear this on my trip to go see my dad. And I'm going to wear it the whole time. And this bracelet is going to remind me that I'm okay. Every time I, I see it, I feel it. I'm going to, I'm going to know I'm okay. And, and he's okay too. And, and so it, it, that was, it was a physical symbolism to remind me about, you know, myself and, and being separate from him who was making a transition. And so, you know, Gary said mood ring, ha ha, but you're talking about charging up stones. Can somebody take an object, almost any object, but let's call it a natural object, any rock or stone and give it that quality in their minds so that it does become a reminder of something important about themselves. Absolutely. Nature cooperates with us if we cooperate with it. And stones hold consciousness. You know, there's a reason that temples and and monks use large crystals in the center of their temples, because they hold the energy of God or whatever they want to have hold it. And, um, you can use that as great talismans. And it was Joseph Campbell that pointed out in the hero's journey that when we go out into the world and venture into a new initiation or a new process, having a talisman is, is important. And you can make anything you want a talisman. I think it's great you did that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And what I'm hearing is that it's much more than simply pretty jewelry. Because you can wear a talisman because they look nice. So many of them are beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. I I make all the stones myself. I wrap them myself in beautiful wire. They look great. So no one would know that it's just a rock. You know, it's not just a rock. It's It's a beautiful pendant, but it's also holding energy that helps you awaken your Lemurian self and your higher self from from the inside out. In um, in the time we have left, Boston, I wanted you to say something about this whole idea of consciousness, how you are looking at it and applying it to both the individual and the collective. Oh, yeah, I'm glad you asked me that. The patterns, because they're fractal patterns in psyche, they occur within the individual, but also within any collective. It can be a family, an organization, a group, a nation. You know, I think of America as the fire pattern because it's kind of focused on um, gaining material wealth and um, finding its sense of self, you know, thinks of itself as the greatest country in the world. Whether that's true or not is open to debate, but that's the thought process behind the nation. So that's 
it's the same pattern that that happens over and over, just like a fractal. And there's a way in which um, the individual can contribute to the collective by working out their own pattern and becoming more aware of it. That's how we start problem solving and moving the collective into that multidimensional higher self. And as you know, we're moving into this transition in the age of Aquarius and this consciousness level is going to shift. And with that, so will all of our infrastructure. We have to develop a compassionate economy, a compassionate political system, compassionate social structures. And we're going to change all that because we don't have a choice. We're in the age of Aquarius. It's going to happen whether we want it to or not, but it can be done easily by understanding how these things work, or it can be difficult. It's up to us. If you want to make a trial run out of it, I have a state that I would suggest. (laughs) (laughs) You might, you might want to begin where we reside in the state of Florida. Yikes. There, um, and, and that leads me to ask you in a more serious way. Recently, very recently, President Biden gave the State of the Union address. Is there a state of the collective that can be perceived and articulated so that most, if not all people, can appreciate the status quo of world consciousness or even American consciousness relative to the rest of the world? Yeah, there is. I think that we can look at the recent American turmoil. We have mass shootings happening because there's rage. We have um, the Me Too movement was starting to bring awareness to the misogynist rape culture that has been occurring. We're seeing uh, racism come back into awareness and how to change those social structures into something more equitable. And I think we're going to see these systems fall apart, you know, because as we become more aware, we have to change them. The question is, what are we going to change them into? And one of the things that my colleague and I are working on developing is a problem-solving community. We want to bring diverse groups of people together to start teaching them how to use higher self to approach problem-solving and hopefully try to bring in some new ideas for how to redesign the system. And we don't know what we're going to do with that design, but we're just looking to start getting ideas. You know, it's just we're on the edge of almost ready to do that as a collective. So I think, I think we're almost ready to start those communities and begin the restructuring of our social infrastructure. And let's let's punctuate that by saying what I'm what I'm hearing from you, Boston, sounds like a more than a cluster, maybe a growing movement. I hope so, of intentional communities that probably would not seek out an analogy to the '60s and the communes and the way people lived there for their blessings and their challenges, whatever they were. This is something that has taken decades to evolve, almost like being ready for the moment when you can do such a thing. Yeah, this is not a Nirvana-type ideal. It's a realistic construct in the way the psyche functions, that as a collective, we are transforming. 
And we're seeing the evidence of that through these movements. So it's happening and we need to respond to it in order to make it happen more easily and more comfortably. I like this, um, you know, we've been talking about the age of Aquarius now for several years and in discussing it with our uh, astrological friends, they they tell us it's not a light switch, it isn't overnight, it's something that happens over a period of years mm-hmm. and it is, it's right there. I mean, it, when you look at where the planets are situated, it, it's, it, it is really just right there. And I wonder... As this is coming about, um, you know, as as individuals, it it seems as though when you're talking about things coming up to be looked at, to be made aware of, we're we're at that crossroads. Are are we going to go one way or a different way? Are we going to go the way of love and compassion or are we going to go the way of ego and rightness and you know something more negative and it comes up almost daily doesn't it yeah it does and i think it seems like it's going more negative but that's just the the end of an era showing itself if you will because what you what happens with the psychological process, Jung described it like a rubber band. There's a tension that builds and and that we can see it in our political system, the Democrats and Republicans, which is a binary system. So it's based in instinct. And the tension between the two has grown over the last 30 years, right? And as it does so, the rubber band is getting tighter and tighter and soon it will snap because it has no choice but to snap. The tension's not going to get less. It's going to get more. And I don't mean that to sound scary. It's a good thing, and we should celebrate it. And the reason it's a good thing is because when that rubber band snaps, we have what Jung called a transcendent function. And we can then start to reorganize and rebuild a new system based on the new level of conscious functioning that we're in. And the reason we're in it, as the astrologers have pointed out, is because of where our planet is in our galaxy and where the galaxy is in the universe. We're in a new energy system. It's a natural part of the cycle. That's why it's going to happen in a positive way. There's no other way for it to go. It has to change into something positive. We're done with the negative. The only question is, how difficult are we going to make the transition? And that is the $64,000 question right there. I think historically, which is rather like looking at what you're talking about, Boston, in microcosm, after World War I, President Woodrow Wilson couldn't get the League of Nations established. That idea just didn't work out, didn't have that political will behind it, I suppose. But after World War II, which ended with the detonation of two nuclear devices, and both of them, the only ones uh, fired in wartime by the United States of America and the victim or the recipient, at any, depending on your view of military history, the, um, the target was two cities in Japan. After that, 
there was plenty of political will to establish the United Nations. There had to be some stratum of thought worldwide that now that we have the bomb and it's been used twice in war, we have to do something about this because otherwise we are inviting annihilation worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. We don't have a choice anymore. Nobody wants a war. The weapons are so <laughs> mass destructive at this point. We just we can't tolerate that. And I think as we move more into our higher self position, which will continue over the next decades, as the astrologers have pointed out, we will move into more compassion and love. And the space there, it's so hard to describe, but it's just so detached from judgment. I really think the only thing we won't tolerate is intolerance. You know, we're just going to get past this stuff, but we've got some work to do to get there. Well, I like the positive note that you are are lending about this, and I want to um, be sure that we talk just in the last minute here one more time about what it is that you are have on offer at humanadifferentway.com. What can people get there? They can learn all about the model, the patterns that are driving their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. You know, when we get stuck in an idea or stuck in an anxiety of some kind and the mind kind of spins around what's happening is it's spinning through those four patterns in in a specific way and when you get stuck there you have to stop and redirect into an awareness focus a, a particular thing that has to be done which I won't go into those here but those are all available on the website in the videos they're very reasonably priced. Uh, the cards can help on a daily basis. I draw a card every day because it tells me kind of where my ego is at the moment and what I need to focus on that day. And the talisman is always in my pocket because it reminds me as I'm out in the world to pay attention and listen and remember to have that relationship with higher self because it won't it's just waiting there quietly that's what it does it's not loud like the instinct is it waits for you so we offer those tools and we have course materials we want to start a problem solving community though that's not running yet and i think one of the best tools that i am the most excited about is the healing stones i love making the healing stones and i love when people wear them because the response i'm getting is outstanding People Dr. Boston Carter, thank you so much. Thank it's you. been too long, my friend. We must do this again sooner. We wish you the very best, and we thank you for joining us today. We learned a lot. Thank you so much. It was really good to see you both again. Yep. Join us next week, next Friday. Have a great week ahead, everyone. <laughs>